Just like this guy, everybody in the world is on a search or pursuit for peace. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today as we look at the Easter story. And then over the next few weeks, as Scott mentioned, we're going to take a look at how to have lasting happiness. And so really glad you're here this morning. It is Easter. I woke up to, uh, to go downstairs to find my... I usually on Sunday mornings, I, I'm a routined person. And so I usually leave my laptop bag at the bottom of the stairs and my Bible on top of it. And... Um, so I know I can get everything as I'm heading out to come over here. And I get down to the bottom of the stairs, and my laptop bag is not there. And I'm like, man, where is it? And I find it's in the middle of the hallway. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. My son, Gavin, he's a two-year-old. I've got two boys. And I figured he probably pulled it over there. And so I thought that was unusual. My Bible was scattered on the floor. And uh, so I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. So I get into the TV room, and, and he kind of wanders out of a corner, real shy. And he comes up to me, and he gives me a big hug on my leg. And I'm like, oh, that's nice, you know, happy Easter. And uh, but he's got this sad look on his face like he's done something wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, what? A-? And then he, he pulls this out. <laughs> and it says, praying for you, babe, love you. It's from my wife. And she packed this thing full of peeps and a Cadbury egg. And there was peeps all over his face. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really kind of a funny morning for me. <laughs> He got into the peeps, and he had this big smirk, and he was like, sorry, Dad. And he just, he just kept hugging my legs, and I kept saying, oh, Gavin, because it was cute to watch him hug my leg. It was just it was cracking me up. But So today, this is what we're going to talk about. Can the resurrection bring me peace? There's a listening guide if you'd like to follow along. The listening guide is inside your uh, bulletin. And people everywhere, all over the world, people everywhere are looking for peace. We look all over for peace. Just some common places that we look for peace are money. You know, if I just had a little bit more money, if I just had a little bit more in my bank account, if I could just save a little bit more money, that's how I feel often. You know, I get the paycheck and then I write all the bills out and I, you know, I get the cash out to buy the groceries and the different things we need and then it's all gone and it's like we just started the month and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I could just put some money in savings, you know, so I set a goal and I'll try to do that. You know, so that's some money in savings, but by about middle of the month, i got to go get that money back out of savings and use it because, you know, money doesn't always bring me peace and happiness. And But we look for it in money. We look for it in possessions often. Another thing is people. You know, we feel like we're missing out relationally. And so we're, we assume that if we could just find that one person, if we could just find that one relationship, then my life would really come together. And so that might be a best friend. Maybe for you it's a, it's a dating relationship, possibly a, a husband, a wife. Maybe it's children. Or maybe it's someone else's children, you know, and because your kids are a little too rough or, or you'd like to change them. But, you know, w- we try to find peace and happiness through people. It's a common thing. Another thing is through choices. We have this thought, if I could just make better decisions, if I could just decide the right things, then, then my life would be a whole lot better. I'd be happier. You know, or if I, if I just added some more good deeds into my life, like if I did some charity work, then maybe, maybe that sense of peace would really come to me. I'd feel better. Another thing is career. If I just, if I just had a better direction in my life, and I want to do something that really makes a difference, so if I, maybe I need to go back to school and, and launch into a new career so that I can really make my mark. We have all these different 
common prescriptions to bring peace into our life. And if you're like me, you put a lot of time and energy into these things, and then oftentimes it leaves you feeling a little hopeless, a little empty still. And you still just keep looking for the next thing to find peace. You know, I I don't know what it is for you. You probably all have something different. That, That one thing that you feel like really brings you peace. For me, I oftentimes, I think vacation. You know, I think the next vacation is going to bring me peace. But then what happens is I go on the vacation, and it's Monday. And I'm on vacation, I'm in vacation mode, but it's Monday. And I realize, man, it's Monday. And six days from now, i got to go home. And then Tuesday rolls around, and I'm thinking, five days from now i got to go home. And, and I can't really enjoy my vacation because you know, I'm so focused on my neurotic you know, thoughts. And, but we have these different things that we try to do to get peace. And so we're obviously not the first to seek for it. We're not the first ones who've ever looked for lasting peace. This is really something that since the beginning of human history, we all have hunted for this. From the first man and woman, to us and the people that will live on past us, you know, we have this track record of hum- as humans of putting our hope in things that just leave us feeling empty, put our hope in people that leave us feeling empty and oftentimes hopeless. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is take a look back 2,000 years ago at the story of Easter and also look at the lives of these followers of Jesus Christ. Some of the people that decided they wanted to um, walk alongside Him in life, do life with Him, share life with Him, and look at some of the things that they struggled. Because when they met Jesus, they felt like, He's the guy that can bring my life together. They had this thought. They thought, he is the one that's going to bring me happiness. He's the one that's going to bring me peace. So we want to look at their story and look at some of the dynamics of their story and then apply it to our lives as we move forward in, in, our, in our just homes and in our workplaces and our situations we face. Um, so just want to describe a little bit about the followers of Jesus Christ. These were Jewish men. They were, they were people who walked with Jesus for about three years. He had called them to follow him and to really reorient their lives. And so what they did was they decided to set aside their lives and their lifestyles and some of the things they had been doing, and they put Jesus Christ as the first place of their life. They decided, you know, I want to follow him. And so he became the priority for these men. They're called the disciples. You might have heard, you know, the 12 disciples or the apostles. Well, so they they saw Jesus as the one who God had promised, God's Messiah. The Messiah was... Uh, promise from the Old Testament. So the Jews had their scriptures, the Old Testament. And in the, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that God would send a person who would come and deliver His people and basically lift the hand of oppression that they'd been experiencing for years and years and years. And so they saw Jesus as the one who was going to come and, and remove the Roman oppression that they'd been facing and then begin to usher in God's kingdom. And since they were close to Jesus, since they were His friends... And his followers, they felt like we're in a perfect place at the perfect time to be kind of key cabinet leaders, in a sense, of Jesus' kingdom. Because they were close to him. Anytime you're close to a powerful person, you think, hey, well, I'm kind of a little more powerful now because I'm buddies with this powerful figure. And so you see that happening in business. Well, it certainly happened in this time. So Jesus' followers thought, man, we're the perfect place because we're Jesus' buddies. So before... Before uh, 
the Easter events and before Jesus' death, it was kind of customary that, that he would gather his followers together for meals, but they were going to celebrate the Passover meal together, which was a Jewish holiday. They were going to celebrate a feast, and they were going to just enjoy each other's company and remember some of the things that God had done in the past. And as Jesus gathered his followers together to share in this Passover meal, which would be his last supper with them, he began to talk about some things that really disturbed his followers. And some of the things that he said just really caught them off guard. And so I want to highlight a few of those things, show you some video from a movie that kind of recounts some of the, uh, the story here. And, and so this is going to be the night before his death. Okay, this is the night before his death. And Jesus, Jesus instructs all of his followers to gather together to share this meal. And before they begin this meal, it was customary because in those days they didn't have you know, shoes with laces and you know, big boots and things to keep their, their feet clean and socks. These men, and they would wear sandals. And the sandals would be strapped onto their feet. And so they'd be walking through these dirty, dusty cities and towns. And so it was customary that before they actually began to dive into their meal, that the servant there of the home would, would clean these men's feet or clean the feet of those who were gathered to, to enjoy this meal together. And so it was interesting. Nobody, nobody did it. They're about to eat the meal. Nobody does it. So Jesus, he stands up. He takes off his outer garment, Scripture says, and he grabs an apron and he ties it around his waist. And he begins to move from disciple to disciple to wash their feet. And I want to show this to you. We'll watch this from a movie, The Gospel of John. So let's take a look at this. He came to Simon Peter. Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Lord, do not wash only my feet then. Wash my hands. And head too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves. Except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And it is right that you should do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you. So that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, 
How happy you will be if you put it into practice. So, in this scene, Jesus kind of does something completely out of character. Because this was an insult to have the Master go and wash the disciples' feet. This was insulting. And, and now the, the disciples, they, they really they needed to be reminded of this because they began to get their pride very much involved and invested in, in following Jesus. Just before the scene, in a different one of the, the Gospels, one of the books that records this account, they're arguing about who is going to reign with Jesus in the kingdom. They're arguing about who's going to be, you know, kind of on Jesus' right hand and on his left hand, who's going to be his top leaders. And, and, and he begins to talk about servanthood. And then he does this. And it's just, it shocks them. He says in verse, I think, 14 and 15, it says, yeah, verse 14 and 15, he says, Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He's saying, you know, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. you basically, he's saying is, you're going to be a servant. If you want to follow me, then you need to begin to learn to serve other people. You don't need to push yourself ahead, but you need to learn to be a servant. That's what it means to truly lead. That's what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And I can just imagine how their expressions really changed. Because they went from thinking, you know, Jesus is my BFF. If you're familiar with that term. Jesus is my best friend forever. That's a big term popular for the, for, uh, I don't know what that's for. What is that for? Texting, yes. Texting. There's all sorts of little texting codes. I did this with my mom. My mom texted me a bunch of things. I'm like, what are you talking about? I had asked for an interpretation, and she's like, get with it, Josh. You know, and I'm like, okay. But, you know, they're thinking, Jesus is my BFF. And now he's saying, serve others. And you think, they're thinking, what? You want me to serve other people? That's not exactly what I had in mind. This created real anxiety for them. And then he does another thing. Look at this scene. After Jesus had said this, he was deeply troubled and declared openly, I am telling you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another, completely puzzled about whom he meant. One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was sitting next to Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him. Ask him whom he is talking about. So that disciple moved closer to Jesus' side. Who is it, Lord? Again, they're just stumped. They're, they're, the picture of their future was quickly changing. These men had followed Jesus for three years since the beginning of his public ministry, and, and they'd grown very close to each other and to him, and now he's saying, one of you will betray me. And so they're thinking, who? Is it me? Is it? I want to know who it is. And, and they're feeling a little bit betrayed, obviously. They're thinking, you know, we're God's leading men, and now there's a traitor among us. And you can just imagine how their plan, their, their idea, the picture of their lives was unraveling before them. And this is kind of what we experience in life. We have plans, we make our plans, and then things happen, our plans begin to change, and peace and happiness kind of slips away from us. 
And that's, that's exactly what the disciples were feeling. Just different kinds of emotions as these different events were unfolding. And then Jesus, after this, I'm just going to read what happens here. He talks about one of the one of the twelve, Peter, would be denying him. And then after he talks about Peter and how he's going to struggle to to really acknowledge that he follows Christ, then he reads, then he says this passage. This is John 14:1 through 6. He says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you," I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Jesus talks about leaving now. He says, I- I'm going to go. I'm leaving you. And the thought of Jesus leaving them, the thought of not having Jesus present with them, again, the peace was slipping away. And, and if you, it, it's easy to understand this for me because as a parent, I've got two young kids, and oftentimes when I say, hey, I'm going to leave, if you're a parent and you have kids and you say, hey, we're going out tonight, or I'm going to leave you tonight, or you're going to be with a babysitter, what typically happens? Yeah, they freak out. They cry. They get angry. They have a temper tantrum. They, you know, they run away and hide. And you're looking for them. And you know, the presence of certain people brings peace. And certainly that was the case for Jesus' followers. To have Jesus present with them brought peace. They were able to just rest and they were able to 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 relax. But now their their mind just continued to flood with questions. Their heart flooded with fear. And then this same night, Jesus goes through a few more things and he tries to strengthen his disciples about what was to come. He talks with them about the life that they needed to live. And then, and then it says that the scripture says that he went with his disciples, as it was his custom, to pray. And he went to a place called the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, he went up on the mountainside with these men. And, and it says that he went a little further past his disciples to go and pray. And the scripture says that he was beginning to pray for, for a few things. One was he prayed for himself. He was asking God to give him strength to endure what was to come. Because he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer on the cross. And he, he was in real anguish. Second Corinthians 5.21, you have it up here on, on your screen. It says, God made him, this is what happened. God made him who, knew, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God God took everything despicable and sinful and harmful about us and everything we've ever done, not only us, but everybody that's ever lived and ever will live, and He placed that on Jesus Christ on the cross so He would suffer and die for the sins of the entire world. And that brought Him real anguish. So He was praying, God, would You strengthen me for what I'm about to face. Theologically, this there's a term called imputation. It basically means you're, you're putting something to another's account. You're putting something to another person's bank account. Basically, it's a banking term. And so when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins, everything we'd ever done and everything that has ever been done and will be done in the world, all of that was imputed on Him. It was put to His account. It was credited to Him 
And he was going to be treated as if he had actually committed all of those sins. Think of all the worst people that have ever lived. You know, we do horrible things. We do bad things. We have this willingness to harm. But there's people that do really horrible things, and he took all that on himself as well. And so all of that, paired with the impeding pain of crucifixion, of him knowing he was going to die and be crucified, that was just overwhelming. So he cried. And the Scripture says in Luke 22:44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, we, around our sweat glands, we actually have these blood vessels that under extreme um, pressure and anxiety can actually dilate and blow up and, and rupture and mix with our sweat. And so Jesus actually, Scripture says, sweated blood because he was under that much anguish. Not only was he thinking about what he was going to endure, he was also thinking about his followers. So he began to pray for his followers, his disciples, and just ask God to strengthen them. He also prayed for people who would, who would believe in the future. This includes those of us here who have decided to follow Christ. If you've come to that point where you've trusted Christ with your life, then Jesus, before he died, prayed that you would be strengthened. He prayed for you. He prayed that you would endure. And then the Scripture says after he prayed these three things, he, he went back to the place where he left his disciples on the mountainside. And it says that he found them and they were sleeping. And oftentimes, I look at this passage and I hear it talked about and it's, it's kind of emphasized that the disciples were being lazy. But really what was happening, the scripture actually tells us why they were sleeping. Take a look at Luke twenty-two forty-five. It says, when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. You see, everything had unfolded. They realized what was coming. And they were at an extreme point of exhaustion. They began to, to be in despair themselves, so they, they couldn't handle it anymore. They fell asleep out of exhaustion. And then shortly after this, they watched their leader taken away from them. He was arrested, taken into custody. He was questioned before re- Jewish religious leaders and before Roman officials. He was stripped of most of his clothes. He was mocked. He was whipped and beaten. He was sentenced to die the death of a criminal. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and drove it into his, into his, into the top of his head. And he was to be crucified. Crucified is one of the most painful methods of death. And the Romans, they were expert at, at knowing how to punish people. And so the Romans knew exactly how to prolong the crucifixion process. And oftentimes it lasted days. But in Jesus' case, they hung him on the cross to die. And in, in this case... They didn't want to leave the bodies on the cross for very long because there was a high holy day that they were going to celebrate. And so the Jewish leaders wanted to break the bodies of the, or break the legs of those three men that were crucified. And so they broke the first two legs, or the first two criminals' legs. Because if they broke the legs of the criminals on the cross, they could no longer lift themselves up on the cross to breathe. And so the idea of the crucifixion is that they would be slowly dying as they'd be suffocating and could no longer lift themselves up to breathe. And so they broke the legs of these two men and they came to Jesus to break his legs and they realized that he was already dead. They, they didn't break his legs, which fulfilled something that had been foretold hundreds of years before that he wouldn't, you know, his legs would not be broken, but he would be pierced. So the scripture says that the soldiers pierced his side and blood and water flowed out. His heart had ruptured and so he was already dead. The Roman guards and these soldiers, they were experts at crucifixion. They were experts 
at death and knowing when a person was dead. And so they said, he's, he's in fact dead. They declared Jesus dead. Jesus had given up his life, though. There was a specific words he said on the cross, and at a certain point he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his, his final breath, and he died. And his followers, they watched from a distance about the man that they thought was going to conquer the world and, and free them from everything, to now he's, he's dead. Their hopes were completely dashed. And so I want to look at this part of the story. We're going to watch a five-minute clip. And I want to look at just why we celebrate Easter together. After this, Joseph, who was from the town of Arimathea, asked Pilate if he could take Jesus' body. Joseph was a follower of Jesus, but in secret because he was afraid of the Jewish authorities. Pilate told him he could have the body. So Joseph went and took it away. Nicodemus, who at first had gone to see Jesus at night, went with Joseph, taking with him about 100 pounds of spices, a mixture of myrrh and aloes. The two men took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the spices, according to the Jewish custom of preparing a body for burial. There was a garden in the place where Jesus had been put to death, and in it there was a new tomb where no one had ever been buried. Since it was the day before the Sabbath, and because the tomb was close by, they placed Jesus' body there. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him. 
Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who was it that you were looking for? She thought he was the gardener. So she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni. This means teacher. Do not hold on to me. Because I have not yet gone back up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to him who is my father and their father. My God and their God. So Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and related to them what he had told her. It was late that Sunday evening and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Then Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. After saying this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You 
my hope for tomorrow and peace for today. You're the joy in my sorrow, the truth and the way. On this long road I travel, there's one thing I could say. You are, you are there. You are, you are there. You are, you are there. When I choose to get down, song just about the hope that the disciples regained and one that we can have, one that we can share in. As, you know, as, as we're presented with this story of the, the resurrection, it's this, it's a, uh, it requires faith to put your hope in the resurrection. And so, you know, there's, uh, we don't really have time this morning to go into all the the theories of what may have happened. There's certainly there's a handful of theories that people have developed to explain away the resurrection rather than believing that the Bible recounts accurately what happened and that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead on the third day as it had been prophesied, as it had been foretold years before, that He came alive again. And that changes things for us. That gives us hope that when we die, we don't have to be that's not the end. That we too can be receiving a new life. That we can have life eternal. Just to wrap things up, there's three things I wanted to highlight. You see them on your listening guide. Jesus can bring us peace. First off, Jesus' death, it paid for the price of my sin. That's why Jesus died. He died to pay the price of our sin and our rebellion. Each one of us, the scripture says, has gone our own way in life, lived life independent from God, trying to do things and leaving God out of the equation. The Scriptures in Romans 6.10, the first part of it says, the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. This means two things. One is He dealt with the penalty of sin, meaning He met sin's legal demand for all mankind. For those who would trust in Him, His death paid that price. The death penalty has been paid. Also, His death broke the power of sin. Sin has this control over humans, but his resurrection, his death actually broke the power that sin has to have on us. It no longer has to be our master. Scripture says we can be freed from that. The price of sin is paid. The power of sin is dealt with. The second thing is this, is Jesus' resurrection gives me assurance of my future. Gives me assurance or hope or confidence. I don't know what word assurance if you use that word a lot but Romans 6 5 through 8 it says if we have been united with him like this in his death we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin now if we died with Christ we believe that we will also live with him this comes in a, in a passage where he talks about us identifying with Christ in baptism. If you've decided to follow Christ and you've followed Him and been baptized, it's a picture that you died, your old self, when you go down in the water, 
It's a picture that your, your old self is dead. You've identified with the fact that just like Jesus died, you, your old self has died. When you're risen out of, the, out of the water, it's a picture of the new life. But this verse really assures us that if we will connect with Christ, if we'll identify united with Him, the Scripture says then we will live with Him. We can have a certainty that we will live with Him for all eternity in heaven. This is the first thing I share with people who have decided to become Christians. For those of you that have made that step forward to, in faith to trust Christ with your life, the most important thing that you know at that point on is that you have assurance of your future. You have assurance. There's a verse, 1 John 5, 11 through 13. It says this. It says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. It's, very, it's a very pointed and direct statement. He who has the Son has life. And then it says, He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So it's also very pointed and clear. And then it says, I have written these things to you, or I'm sorry, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us to wonder if we, if we can have assurance for our future, if we're going to go to heaven or not. He wants us to know beyond, beyond shadow of a doubt, with all certainty, to have a confident assurance of our future. Since Jesus is alive, then we too can live eternally. The last thing is this, is that Jesus' presence in my life can bring lasting peace. His presence. Just like in the disciples' case, when He was with them, they experienced peace. When He left, they freaked out. Jesus' presence in our life can bridge. We can have peace with God. Upon rising and appearing to His disciples, three different times He used that phrase, peace be with you. He kept showing them, here's the nails. I, I'm really here. Peace be with you. He kept saying that over and over. Because peace is very important to us. We want, we want peace. This idea of peace is just trouble-free. Sitting down in our hearts, just trouble-free. And that's what Jesus can offer to us. The presence of peace has a couple realities. First, there's a spiritual reality. In the movies, you always hear people talking about, you know, I need to make peace with God. Before I die, I need to make my peace with God. Well, the spiritual reality of God's presence or of Jesus' presence is that we can have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 and 2 declares this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through, Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God's wrath or His, the penalty of our sin is no longer there. His, it's lifted. Because for those who've decided to yield their life to Jesus Christ, Things are seen different. God looks at you through the work that Jesus did on the cross. And you can have a hope that you'll experience God's glory for all eternity. But secondly, there's this real practical reality of God's presence through Jesus. There's a real peace that, can, that we can experience in our lives just through knowing Christ day to day. That can change the way we deal with our relationships, the way we handle our money, the way we make choices. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the way that the practical reality of knowing Jesus you know, the way that that works itself into our lives. John twenty twenty nine, this last verse, one of the last verses of that passage. After he showed himself to all them and said, Peace be with you, then he said to Thomas, he said, Because you've seen me, you have believed. You know, it was a little easier for them because they saw the nail holes. They saw his side that was pierced. But then he says, But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. For those of you that have decided to trust Christ with your life, Having never seen Jesus 2,000 years ago, that's a step of faith. And that's what it requires. It requires us, 
believing that the story is true and that I, I trust that God is going to work this out in my life as well, that if I'll accept Him into my life, then I can have hope for the future. If you've never experienced God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we'd love to give you that opportunity. Um, we'd like to share with you more personally about what that means, though. And so if, if you'd like to learn more about how to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's a couple things you could do. One is on that connection card, you can check the box that says, I'd like to learn about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we can just send you some stuff and maybe have a conversation with you over the phone. Or today, if you'd just like to learn more and have a discussion about that today and nail that down so that you can deal with this issue once and for all, um, we'd love to share with you more personally. So you can come up to me, um, Scott that was up here, Cody. Um, if you'd like to speak with a lady, we can introduce you to somebody that could, can, um, that is if you're a lady. <laughs> I should clarify, I guess. <laughs> That's not the time for that. But uh, <laughs> we have other message series on that. So, but, uh, but, you know, if you'd like to clarify more about what this is about, please um, come and talk with us. We'd love to introduce you to um, Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for Easter. God, we rejoice in knowing you. For those that are here that have assurance of salvation, Lord, we, we just rejoice together that you... You conquered the grave. You were victorious over sin and over death. And then that changes our lives. That gives us hope for our future. And for those that are here that are still in the process of thinking this through, God, I pray that you would be continuing to speak to them about this issue. God, that you wouldn't let them set it aside, but that they would, they would begin to make steps to finding peace with you. Thank you, God, that you have made a way for us to know you. We just love you, God, and we just honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.